Welcome back to the Heather McCoy Show. Joining me on the line is legendary sports host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Lee's current show, Hacksaw and Hayworth, can be heard 6 to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday on the Mighty 1090. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thank you very much. Always a lot to talk about in the world of sports talk radio and obviously in Orange County. We get a lot of phone calls also on our morning show here at the Mighty 1090. Yes. Um, as a kid growing up in Long Island, when did you first fall in love with radio? I came out of a sports and journalism background, Heather. Uh, I, I grew up in a, a baseball family. My father was a pitcher in the Philadelphia Athletics Organization. Uh, my uncle was a sports writer who covered the old Brooklyn Dodgers, actually was the first president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So this this is really where my roots are. And I, I, oddly enough, I went to, went to college to be a sports writer and then kind of got hooked on the electronic end of the uh, medium spectrum and drifted off into radio and I've been doing this ever since I was 19 years of age, doing sports talk and news talk radio since then. So it was more of a natural fit when you decided to pursue a radio TV career? Well, it was just a great fit because it was comfortable, because I, I, I was deeply ingrained in the sports. I, I loved it, and I just kind of drifted that way, and I worked really hard at it and kind of climbed the ladder. I went from very small market radio in Appalachia to mid-sized market in upstate New York to a major market in Cleveland and from Cleveland to Phoenix and then Phoenix to San Diego. You know, I, I came here as the voice of the San Diego Chargers on the, on the original Mighty 690. I was also the first talk show host they ever hired, and I've stayed here. I mean, two and a half decades in this industry, this time, that that's that's a pretty extended run. So it's it's worked out really well. As you mentioned, you went to uh, the university, you, specifically Ohio University, for your degree in radio TV journalism. What was uh, one of the biggest lessons that you've learned that carried you over to commercial radio? You know, we always cross paths with people who influence us. And I just happened when I was at Ohio University, which had a blossoming school of communications. I happened to cross paths with a, a gentleman by the name of Joe Tate, uh, who was a professional broadcaster who had come back to the university to teach. And I just started to take a lot of the, the standards that he had in terms of preparation and style, et cetera, and apply it to myself. And then Joe eventually left uh, the university and went back and wound up in Cleveland, was a longtime voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and is actually in the Basketball Hall of Fame and the broadcaster's wing. So, you know, I kind of attached myself to all the things that he stood for, and I grew there, and then I crossed paths with another great broadcaster in Phoenix, Al McCoy, Longtime voice of the Phoenix Suns, and I, I, you know, we all take stuff from other people, what we think sounds good, etc., and kind of then patch it into what we do, and that's that's the way it's it's always been. I cut my teeth on sports talk radio growing up on Long Island, listening to New York stations do talk and, and Boston <laughs> stations do talk. So, you know, this this is what I wanted to do, and I set sail on it right from the get go. At 19 years old, what was your first radio job? I worked in a small market station in Appalachia. Oh, okay. Logan, Ohio, a small AM/FM station, and so, I spent four years there, and it was a great learning curve because you know I spun records like most all of us did back in the day. But I also got the chance to we started to do high school play-by-play. It had never ever been done in the community, and we really made Logan Chieftain football and basketball and baseball big things on the radio. And I dabbled in sales, and by the time I was done, I wound up being the program director and. Wow! Uh, music station plus doing all the sports, so it, it it was it was phenomenal. And then I moved to upstate New York uh, to Utica, New York, which is a mid-sized regional market, and got the chance to do hockey for the first time, and and polish my skills uh, in, in as a news anchor, 
and, and did you know did some sports talk there, and from there went to Cleveland and uh, kind of really set sail on my career. Got to the major leagues, did World Hockey Association play-by-play for the Cleveland Crusaders, and I did the television play-by-play for the Indianapolis Racers for the World Hockey Association, and did did sports talk there, and that led me to Phoenix, and it was all about contacts. And I got to Phoenix, and got to be the voice of the Arizona State Sun Devils plus two sports talk, and then they heard me here, and they, they brought me to San Diego to be the voice of the Chargers and obviously kind of kind of you know be the catalyst for what would become the mighty 690. We were the third in the country to start the all-sports format, and we did a tremendous, tremendous job. Yeah, the mighty 690 was an amazing station, but uh, going backwards just a bit, I've heard you say multiple times on the air that the movie Slapshot is based on real events that took place in the 70s in minor league hockey. Could you give any further details over Protecting the Innocent? Well, I was in the in the mid '70s, and Paul Newman uh, came up with this idea of doing a a comedy movie based on minor league hockey, and they called it Slapshot. And they came into our league, which was the Eastern Hockey League, which was a small minor league, and that's where they shot the video. That's where they shot the film. They hired a whole <laughs> bunch of actors, obviously, <clears throat> but they also hired a whole bunch of hockey players from each of the teams in the league. And they, they, they took part in all the action shots on the ice. And a lot of the stuff that was in that movie was, was really true. Uh, really, the whole movie was based about the, the true story of the Johnstown Jets coming back from bankruptcy, a uh, small team in western Pennsylvania coming back from bankruptcy to win the championship and, and fight their way to the championship <laughs> by importing a bunch of goons and then all the strange stuff that happened as the team kind of grew. And uh, actually, the, the fun part of it is I... I they used a couple of our players uh, from Mohawk Valley. They were in the movie. The small goaltender was our goaltender, Marlies Barrett. Uh They had a couple of other players. They, they shot a piece of the film. It was in 1975 in our building at the Odd in Utica. The bus that they used that they traveled on was our bus. I spent four years riding that bus, drinking <laughs> beer on that bus with the team. So, oh, wow. So, I mean, it, it's really become a true, true classic for the hockey fans. Yeah, um, so some of the things that happened in the movie, like uh, a hockey player storming the announcer booth and boosters mooning uh, opposing city's fans, did that really happen in that era? And some of that was a little theater. Okay. The brawl and the police coming into the locker room and arresting the three <laughs> Anson brothers in their uniforms. That was true. Yeah. Marching them across wow. the street in their uniforms to the jail across <laughs> from the odd. That was true. All the all the junk with, with uh, the, the players on the road trips, a lot of that stuff was true. So, yeah, yeah, it, there was a little Hollywood in it, but a, a lot of it was, was right on. Of all the teams that you've done play-by-play for, uh, do you have a favorite team in year? Well, obviously, being the longtime voice of the Chargers, and I did their game for 13 years, and the fact that the, it had been a downtrodden franchise and the fact that we got to go to the Super Bowl to see that team come together in the 1994 season and go to the Super Bowl in January of 95 was just spectacular, a team that nobody expected to do anything. And I also think that to see a community grasp the franchise. I mean, in 1995, in that run to the Super Bowl, even though the Chargers got blown out by San Francisco and Steve Young threw six touchdown passes, uh, to, to experience that and see how the community put its arms around the franchise, it's a memory, memory of a lifetime. But I've, I've done a lot of things. I mean, I've had the chance to, to broadcast a Rose Bowl when I was the voice of the Arizona State Sun Devils. Obviously, did a whole bunch of minor league baseball with the Phoenix Giants. <laughs> and, you know, got the chance to do hockey and love hockey and traveled across the country you know, with both Cleveland and Indianapolis. So I've done a lot of things that I really like. And then obviously the other part of the equation is 
doing sports talk radio. You know, I do this morning show from 6 till 9 a.m. on the Mighty 1090, and I love the challenge of, of information and going to get guests and, you know, loading the show with guests and taking phone calls. I, I just like the atmosphere that, uh, that we've created here doing sports talk radio the way you have here in San Diego. Yeah, one of the things that strikes me about your time doing play-by-play with the Chargers is that you did that on weekends, but Monday through Friday you hosted Sports Night acting like any other talk show host, journalist covering the team. Does that level of independence, independence exist anymore for play-by-play announcers employed by NFL teams? I don't think there are very many that were doing what I was doing, because not only was I doing Monday through Friday, I was doing uh, either San Diego State on Saturday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Or USC on Saturday, and then the Chargers on Sunday. So I was working like nine days a week. Oh, God. <laughs> I'd be up coming and going in airports. But um, I never had a problem doing that. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, what I, I always said was what I did Monday through Friday in the talk show was really different than what I did on game day. and. Never really had a problem with that. Then, of course, after the Chargers left our station and we kind of got left on a street corner, we're not allowed to, to go across the street and do the games, sadly. I wound up getting a Seattle Seahawks job. And yeah. I had a great run there for three years doing the Seahawks and had a blast, although the travel was really, really hard uh, because every every road game, every game became a road game for me. But, yeah, I just, you know, I do a national talk show. We do talk about, obviously, the local teams in town, but I do an awful lot of national stuff, too. So yeah. it, it's just a unique mix. I don't think, though, they're for many people doing what I do now. Yeah, when I first heard your show in the 90s, you were with the Mighty 690, as we were talking about, and that was quite a staff back then. Rick Short, Steve Mason, John Ireland, Jim Rome, and Jeannie Zalasco, just to name a few. Can a staff be like that be put together in their today's radio business? Well, it was interesting because nobody else was really doing it. You know, yeah. and they, they launched this thing, I think the Mighty, Mighty 690, uh, Got launched. I want to say about 1990. It was I think it was the second or third year I was been in San Diego, and WFAN in New York had just launched. WIP in Philadelphia had just launched. And our owner came to me and said, "We want to do this." And I said, "Boy, I, I don't know if it's going to work. This awful narrowcasted." And little did I know. I mean, it's, it's like 2,700 stations now doing some form of sports talk. Um, you know, back back in those days, there was hardly anybody in Los Angeles doing sports talk. They they had some small minor shows, Dodger talk, things of that nature. But nobody was doing it around the clock. And, of course, we're on a big blowtorch signal, 77,000 watts uh, on the old 690, so you can hear us everywhere. We're on a big signal now. I mean, the mighty 1090s, 50,000 watts. I mean, we blow in uh, into L.A. and way up the coast, and at night you can hear us up in the Pacific Northwest. So yeah. you've got to have a big signal. But, yeah, you can find talent. It's, it's a little bit tougher now because uh, I think the landscape has changed. I think the theory is, well, we want not only radio people doing radio, we want ex-athletes to bring a different perspective there. So I would think if you, if you go across the dial, you've got a lot of ex-athletes that are now co-host uh, with different talk show hosts. Yeah, yeah. Why is there so many, t- uh, like in L.A. especially, it seems like they just throw four people in the room and it just it's a sports talk show where it's just a lot of yelling. And it's, I don't particularly care for it. Why is that the trend in radio right now? Well, I just think you've, you've evolved. Uh, I still maintain that you gotta you got to have content and you got to have opinions on the content. And you have to leave space for the listener to have opinions and your co-host yeah. opinions. But the more voices you have means more noise, which means more clutter. You know, you, you can't make it non-listenable. Uh, that's one of the proud things that uh, I've, I've been all about is not only do I do what I think is pretty good sports talk radio, but I give, I give you, the listener, the chance to, you know, plant a flag so that you can participate in the talk show and have your right to have an opinion, et cetera. If you've, if you've got four voices plus callers, that's way too many people, and I, I just don't think you can go there. I think you've, you've got to figure out a game plan that works. 
Yeah, uh, another member of the staff and the former Mighty 690 I didn't list was Chet Forty, who was the former director of Monday Night Football. What was it like working with him? One of the most unique individuals I ever crossed paths with. Uh, and, it, you know, Chet passed away very suddenly of a heart attack. Uh, dynamic guy, intellectual guy. Guy had a lot of problems, brought a lot of baggage to the show, and sadly died of a heart attack. But, you know, he was a creative juice behind the scenes of Monday Night Football with Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and Dandy Don Meredith. And the stories he could tell. He did the Chargers with us for one year as kind of a special analyst. Uh-huh. We'd go on the road, and we would sit in a hotel lobby and just listen to him tell stories about the early days of Monday Night Football. And the early days prior to that, when they launched Wide World of Sports and all the places he went, and the venues and the Olympics in Switzerland and all the unique things he did in his career. He didn't think they were special, but to us, I mean, he televised the coronation of a pope. He televised the coronation of the Queen of England. Think about wow. that, of where he's been and all the, all the great things he did. He was fascinating, fascinating guy, but he left us too early. Yeah, any thoughts as to why Jim Rome has turned into a caricature of himself? Well, I, I don't know if caricature is the right thing. He's found oh. a niche. Uh, and we all find a niche that we feel comfortable with or we think is a successful formula. Oh, okay. He does what he does. Um, you know, he's had great success uh, on radio, and that, that continues on. He puts a lot of emphasis now on TV, and he's had some success there. He's also had some bumps in the road there. But yeah, everybody, everybody does what they think is right. My style's my style. If people want to make fun of it, that's okay. Thanks for listening. No, I really don't care. His style on radio is drastically different than what is a much more serious form and format on, on television. But, you know, he started with us, and he did very well and used that as a launching point to, to his career. I think the only disappointing thing to me about Jim Rome is he's forgotten his roots. I mean, he just he's ignored. He stepped on a lot of people down here, which I, I, don't, I don't think is right. But uh, he's done really well for himself. And, you know, when you look back, when you consider where he was in the early 90s to where he's gotten, that's, that's quite, quite an accomplishment with all... I think we've all accomplished it. Those of us who've been in a long time have all accomplished a lot for their careers, and I say respect what the guy's done. Yeah, what was the culture of radio like when you first started out and compare it to today? I think it's to the question of, do we really know what we're doing? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's let's try it and see if it works, and sometimes it blew up in your face and sometimes it didn't. I had a style. I was, I was, I was the first to do it. You know, when I, I got to Phoenix, I was really different. They had never done anything like that in Phoenix. They'd never really done anything like that in San Diego. And I started that whole concept of the best 15 minutes in radio, Hacksaw's Headlines. And I mean, The first night I went on the air and I said, here's what's going on in the world of sports. Here's what Lee Hamilton thinks, damn it. And <laughs> holy cow, the phone's lit up. Who is this guy? He's so bombastic. He's so loud. He's so opinionated. And that's, that's, that's my style. That's who I was. And I brought that into San Diego and it had never been done here. Surely it had not really been done up in L.A. And it's you know, it's been successful. I mean, 26 years later, I think we're doing a lot of things right. What I love about your current place at 1090 is it feels like a reincarnation of of uh, the old 690 with all the local people. And, uh, you know, it's a local day, and it's not really syndicated other than Jim Rome. Uh, what's it like to work there right now? Well, it, I, I, I credit ownership. It is a very expensive format to run. I mean, if you, you think we are live and local from 6 a.m. to almost 11 p.m. at night with the with the only only change being the syndicated show with Jim Rome on our big signal. But think of the manpower commitment. Think of the financial oh, yeah. aspect of what it takes to have all these talk show hosts and then all the infrastructure people behind in terms of producers and news reporters, etc. It's not an inexpensive format to run. You, you pour a lot of resources in to make this thing work. And if you go up and down the dial, 
not being done that way in a lot of other places. I mean, uh, you know, L.A. Uh, has has a chunk of local talk, but they do carry network stuff. Uh, you know, Fox Sports 570 is a lot more network than it is local. Uh, and you go to San Francisco, outside of the one big station in San, in San Francisco, everybody else is doing an awful lot of syndicated talk. So you know, I, I credit our people to the radio economy time. Is, this is a really bad time. In the last four or five years economically, in the radio industry have not not been very good. So I credit our people for doing what they do. Yeah. As an inspiring uh, broadcaster myself, the landscape in radio I see is one that's highly consol- it's one that's highly consolidated uh, post Telecom Act ninety six. Um you know, to use a baseball analogy, I consider what I do double uh, uh, A baseball compared to a commercial station like yours, which is obviously the majors. Uh, with a lot of the stations that I would consider AAA ball, they have basically, as you were saying, have gone syndicated uh, programming relays. How how does somebody develop uh, radio talent um, to get to a major market these days? I think you need to spend your time in places like Las Cruces, New Mexico, or Pocatello, Idaho. I mean, yeah. I spent four years in Appalachia. I spent four years in a in a smaller media market. That, that's the way you polish your craft and you, you find your niche and you do your job, and then it goes from there. And then it's also coupled with being in the right place, right time, knowing the right people. Oh, totally. So my guest has been Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. He can be heard on the Mighty 1090. Uh, he's actually on the air right now as we speak. Uh, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. hope to talk to you again. Have some of your friends and listeners in Irvine give us a call on our toll-free number. We're on from 6 till 9 a.m. every morning. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is the Heather McCoy Show.